0: Before I graduated, uh, I seen so many people having like radio shows, looked into it, was extremely prepared, created a concept and segments and even certain times of day that I believe would be best suitable to the campus community.
1: Revelations, the place where we communicate truth to power. I am Cole Johnson, and I am so glad you're able to join us. He has takes about every single situation that will blow your mind. Ladies and gentlemen, the host of the Simply King podcast, Rodney Perry, a.k.a. King. King is his moniker, and this is his revelation. feeling cold oh man i'm feeling wonderful man i'm feeling wonderful and 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 just to speed all of you up now we've had a riveting conversation before this interview began and i am absolutely pumped and you're going to hear why i'm absolutely pumped because yeah and I, i figured since i'm going to do it this way i'm going to do segments and the first one is going to be called open the way so we're going to open the way for the people you live in chicago but you weren't born there
0: no no i am originally from jackson tennessee um it's a uh I guess somewhat. I literally talk to people all the time, and I guess I always describe it as a small town because that's what it felt like to me, and uh, relatively small town in between Memphis and Nashville. Where 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 you stop to get gas and do all other things because this is the point of civilization if you're going either <laughs> east or west in uh, Tennessee if you're in that section. Um, grew up single mom. I have a sister. I think for me, uh, I, I just I think I had a very keen sense of just kind of learning things and trying to find out more and getting more information about things because I had so many questions. Being from a small town, I believe, certainly can make you very uh, kind of lowbrow and see the world and just the space that you're in or also ponder on the exteriors of where you are. And I think I was definitely one of those individuals who always thought past my small town. What am I seeing on TV? How do you get there? What is this place? What's going on? And just asking so many questions. And I think that's what it developed me at an early age to, um, be very philosophical in my approach to life. Um, I think it, uh, truly shapes the way that I process things just asking why or wanting to know more or trying to figure out how <laughs> certain things are and what, what certain things, uh, what makes certain things go. And, um, I think that accompanied with this sense of improvement. I think I feel like I immediately connected, um, the people who are successful, the people that seem to got a light, a lot out of life were individuals who seem to be about improving themselves, seem to be about incre- increasing the value of their environment, increasing the value of themselves in so many different ways. So I think early on, um, I think You know, I think it just literally just started from just reading a lot of, you know, quotes, a lot of very inspirational um, material um, and just taking in certain perspectives or seeing a certain light and just reading, you know, randomly reading Tony Robbins, randomly reading um, all these different uh, individuals who were just dropping just gems, dropping gems. And I think it uh, shaped the way I kind of not only spoke to individuals, but also just my perspective. I think it made me into an optimist. I think it makes me, because I I always am thinking about like, I know I'm supposed to be better. I know I'm supposed to be better than where I am now. I know there's room for improvement. I know there is um, space to be more than what I currently am. And I think I always have had that urge and that sense of my, uh, my existence is one that it feels like it's more than what I'm seeing. It feels like I should be more than what I currently am, and I think I had I've had that feeling since you know since I was a child, and um, I feel like you know signs of those things being true have manifested throughout my life, just from you know from church and pe- my mom telling me how it's you know people within the church who just speak so highly of me, and you know putting myself in very adult. Uh, spaces and being able to handle conversation and people just being so kind of enamored by what I have to say and just this attraction to my voice as a whole. And then, you know, going into college or putting myself into certain spaces where, um, because I still wanted to prove certain things to myself. I still didn't want to just believe what people were just saying to me, the compliments that I was getting. Like I literally had to test those things out. I wanted to literally, uh, you not only just be involved, but make sure that it's not a fluke. Like, am I truly a leader or, or am I just the person who just volunteered? Or maybe I'm just in a room full of uninterested individuals and students. And so I threw myself into leadership in a lot of different ways throughout my life um, until I realized that true leaders are not ones that are uh, just, the, just the people who just so happen to you know stand up first, but they're the people who people choose. Sometimes they're really who people want <laughs> to be there. They see them there. And, and so often in moments where I've stood up and volunteered to lead something, and there's moments I've stood in the back and still had to lead. And so I think there are certain intrinsic, values, intrinsic qualities that people possess that truly uh, designate their personalities. And uh, I think I'm very amicable um, as a leader. I think that was the interesting quality that I learned about myself was that I'm just my personality, just literally my personality is what I think is what makes it something that I noticed that I cannot deny and that I can't sit here and say that, you know, well, maybe I'm not the person that should be ahead or should be, you know, in charge of this or that. And once I got to college, uh, I think that was when it was a full fledged, um, realization and kink, the, uh, moniker kink, came out of those came out of that experience came out of that journey it was just a you know a joke uh, at first kids don't know anyone else named Rodney other than Rodney King and it kind of stuck and it kind of stuck to a certain degree but i definitely didn't want my name to be associated with that <laughs> or to be or the answer to anything associated to that so I definitely said, you know, I think I put a, my own meaning towards it. And for me, it was all about my uh, sense of persona, a sense of mindset, and uh, just thinking a more regal, more higher thought, more thinking highly of yourself, thinking higher of yourself. And I think that was why the moniker of King and all those different things is kind of stuck with me. I really believe in blackness and humanness. one in the same. And I think, I think I push my show to be exactly what it is. I'm, I'm a black man. I am who I am. The people who I'm going to bring on are people who I actually know people I actually have, you know, have gotten, have gotten some type of rapport with. And, um, those are the people I want to have on my show. And if you come on to my show and believe this isn't content for you, then I want you to acknowledge the humanity that you will uh, witness within this uh, production, um, because we are human too. So I'm not presenting this as, oh, this is just a black show just for whoever it is, for um, just for the people who are, you know, black as well. But it's for me, it's a show where anyone can tune in. You can get a lesson from this. You can get some knowledge from this. And even when we're talking about things that are centrally uh, just steeped in blackness, uh, you still need to listen. You still need to hear it. You still need to get something from me i think that's kind of i guess the only way i can open the way of to who i am from from you know from beginnings to now
1: (laughs) well you you definitely opened the way for for real uh well firstly i have been on your show so yes so in 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 light of what you said about that i totally appreciate that and i have a i have a new appreciation and a new gratitude for the fact that I appeared on your show. So thank you so much.
0: I appreciate it. Yes, it was a great episode.
1: It was. It was. Uh, and, uh, you know, I mean, like I said, you, you dropped so many nuggets. Uh, <laughs> I the, the fact that, and I, I'll go to this. The fact that you said that you were a product of a single family household mm-hmm. and you came out the way you came out you know i i don't detect any bitterness in you and and normally and i'll say this as a stereotype normally the stereotype is if you come up under a single parent household there's a little bit of there's a tinge of bitterness there mm-hmm. you know there's a tinge of you know my father wasn't here and mm-hmm. you know what since my father wasn't here forget all of y'all yeah the only the only, the only person i'm going to give love to is my mom yeah I don't get that energy from you. And it, and it's, and well, I think it's a credit to your mom and definitely, definitely a credit to you, mm-hmm. for not letting the business overtake you or, mm-hmm. or, or at least if it did finding a way to get past it and break through it.
0: I went through a lot of trial and error. And I think that's what a lot of people who grew up without our fathers uh, do is just go through a lot of trial and error of just figuring out yourself, figuring out how these things work, figuring out what, what, what does a man look like? What does these certain things look like? And, um, and it's a sad it's a sad thing to witness because no one wants no one wants to be LeBron's father. No one wants to be the person who was not there to watch greatness happen, to watch their son become or their son or daughter become um, this gift to the world. No one. Because then it's like, what did you not see? Why would you not want to be there? Why would you mm-hmm. not want to, you know, ex, you know, accept your responsibilities? Why would you not see value in yourself enough to see that the thing that you produced into this world, you don't want to be around?
1: Well, I'm, I'm glad that you ended up having uh, this journey come to where it is now, where you can look at it from a positive aspect rather than a, a wholly negative one. And, and I agree, it takes a lot of, it It takes a lot of maturity and 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 some perspective to mm-hmm. get to that aspect and get to that point in your life where you just choose to not hold on to that bitterness any longer and it is not an easy decision to make and it's not an easy- j- journey to take yeah, but it's not yeah, but you took it and man you it's you're better for it and it's unfortunate and it, yeah it's unfortunate that you have parents who show you. They're human, too, with the mistakes they make with their children. Uh, This is Rodney Perry, the podcast host of the Simply King podcast. I'm Cole Johnson. This is Revelations. And I want to now segue into this new segment and it's called bridge to prosperity Mm -hmm. so what drew you to atlanta and then particularly what drew you to clark atlanta
0: um, the short, short version of the story is really just, uh, uh, I was applying to several different schools. I wanted to certainly go to school out of state when it came to senior year. I didn't know how possible that would be. So I think I was definitely being very realistic about what my options were because I just was like, I would love to go to school out of state, but where, <laughs> like, where would that be? And I think, um, I didn't know any, I didn't know much about HBCUs. And which is funny being from the South, I still didn't know that much about the history of them,
1: mm.
0: um, the history of them to a certain degree. Um, because I'm, you know, I feel like where I grew up, you know, so many people they go, you know, everybody's shooting to go to big schools. I played sports, everybody's shooting to like go to big schools, go to, you know, play ball for somebody. So I think that was what was filled in my mind. Um, and because I didn't, and there were schools that I obviously knew of that were HBCUs, but I didn't connect the two. I didn't connect, oh, these are HBCUs. I didn't even, I thought these were just a school that a lot of black people chose to go to. Uh, like, that's a thing. Like, I mean, it's a thing in high school. It's a thing in everywhere. I didn't think to look into the significance of what that was. Um, but yet again, I think that's a, you know, a fault on our education system. <laughs> I think we should know that that exists. Um, but uh, my aunt, my aunt uh had has a son that's uh, close in age with me my uh, cousin and um she took me and another cousin of mine on a tour she asked me did i want to go on a tour to clarkland university and i already was kind of had a somebody put a bug in my ear to the account of you know looking into more house you know and um so i thought about that and so i was like yeah i'll go and i'll probably be able to see more house while i'm down there yeah whatever whatever and i think um I definitely seen it as just a way to go and see Morehouse initially. But as soon as I touched the campus and felt like was welcomed in this very familiar way, like I knew, like they knew me already, like it was family. um, It was that first sign that made me feel better, feel comfortable, opened me up. Then I walked the promenade and it was uh, the week after homecoming. So the fact that it was a week after homecoming, it's 10 a.m. Everybody who's walking throughout campus looked like they're dressed to the nines. Like everybody was mm-hmm. dressed to the nines and I've never seen something like that before. And it just blew my mind because I'm like, really dressed up just to, it's 10 a.m. in the morning. Like y'all going to class, looking like this, you know? Uh, that part excited me too. And then just uh, the mystery of it all. Like, man, could I be here? Like, What could I do here? What what could I what could really happen here? Um, And it's in Atlanta on top of that. Like, not only am I going to come here, it's also in Atlanta, uh, a place that was that was my first time going to Atlanta in that moment and all those different things. So for me, I was immediately sold, uh, immediately filed, um, you know, submitted an application and told myself, like, you know, if I get accepted, I'm going to do everything I got to do to go to the school. And um, certainly, you know, pressed it onto my mom, too. And she encouraged it. She was really big on us, um, me and my sister going, um, being, educating and just traveling the world, honestly, just getting out, just getting out of Jackson and being more than where we being, being more and seeing more than what we were currently doing and seeing. So when I got accepted and uh, came on came, came on down to Atlanta, Georgia. It was a beautiful experience immediately. And I I think about it all the time. I still have, like, I've made lifelong friends. Um, it's been, it was an experience that I believe I cherish so much. And I think, um, a teacher of my institution, historical and significant figure, WB Du Bois, um, who has a bust on campus, like right in the center of campus, um, Profound, yeah. you know, prompt, who essentially said something that I believe is very true for every still to this day, still to this day, even though he said this over uh, uh, like over 100 years ago, he essentially just said his experience is the experience that all African-Americans in this nation should experience. He went to Fisk University at HBCU um, within Tennessee mm-hmm. and then thereafter went and got his doctorate at Harvard university and, um, they didn't even accept, you know, some of his introductory credit. So he had to even stay there longer than he needed to, to complete that uh, program and became what he now known is, is his black history fact. Cause a lot of people don't know him past his black history fact. And that is the first, uh, person to ever receive a, um, a doctorate from Harvard university. Um, but he, he has this sense of like our consciousness and our minds. We need to go to a school that is um, about us, where race doesn't matter. Because I think people, I think I think people think it's the other way around. They think you go to a predominantly white institution and that's where race doesn't matter. But race matters the most there. This is a very her- heterogeneous situation where everything is different. There's opposites of things. And a variety here. So because there's a variety here, that means we must still accommodate the variety that we have accepted. So to make to accommodate, you have to make these individuals comfortable. So what do you do? You create multicultural centers, you create, you know, black student unions, the black student association. Uh, You know, you create. Yes, you can have black Greeks. Yes, you can, you know, have your own. Uh, dorms, where if it's just y'all, that's fine too. Yes, we're gonna not only give you a graduate your your regular graduation, we're gonna give you a black graduation too. Um, mm. to me, I never understood how people welcome that idea because it's like there's a lot of significance put onto who you are and what you are, and you say that you go there so you can so that cannot matter, so you can quote unquote be in the real world. They say. And in my mind, we're being honest. And my, to me, I believe we're being more honest with ourselves when we attend HBCU. Because nine times out of ten, when you do attend these PWIs, you're going to find black friends. Your circle is black. The people that you you know, <laughs> hang around with most of the time, no matter what school you're at, in most places all over America, that is who you're with. That is who you're hanging with, and that is who you're going to be with for four years. So how, how, how is that living in the real world because you're in closer proximity to whiteness than I am? You see what I'm saying? And I think for me, race does not matter
1: when you're at an
0: HBCU. And I know for some people may think like, well, how does it not matter? Um, yeah, it's an all-black school. Of course it matters. And I was like, it doesn't. It's the last thing we talk about because it's always us. It's always about us. It's always about this. And you you do bring in the humanness of it because you have to you have to then diversify within it and widen out and notice that this is really not a monolith. We're not all the same being from the south, being from the north, being from a whole different country. We are still very different in our mindsets and how we approach life. And that's why I believe you have. I think that's why you have. HBCUs are still the leaders in graduating the most. Social workers, doctors, dentists, lawyers, they come from HBCUs. And I think that that is proof in the pudding that like that is what black excellence is because you the amount, <laughs> the uh, there my HBCU is probably what in maybe like the three, 4,000s, 4, maybe 4,500 people. That is probably just a portion of some of the black population a lot of these pwis they're talking about forty thousand students and and the black students may make up maybe let's say they make up just a a a fourth of that but yet you aren't graduating more doctors lawyers all these different things the hbcus and there's less hbcus there's i feel like there's like right at a hundred at this point um how is that a thing what is happening? What are they doing different? Why are they excelling into the point that they're excelling in? And I believe that is the uh, the secret sauce to it all. It's, it's very obvious. It's like that is what it is. Being around people who look like you. And it's not even a sense of separatism. It's more of a sense of this is the reaction. This was the reaction to what the world was, what the world is um, still to this day. And I think that's why they're still very beneficial to where we are in the world and why they, to me, should be supported and uplifted and funded and financed through whoever um, would like to. Because it's it's a beautiful thing. It's doing beautiful work and um, connecting so many different people and keeping people feeling good about themselves, feeling enriched about themselves, full on support that. What I do not support is black people coming down hard on HBCUs as if they don't have a purpose. Um, I really don't like that. I see it as being very anti-black because it's like, you might not be saying this. You might be just only talking about HBCUs right now, but you're saying that HBCUs are this, that, and the third, all these negative things. You're literally saying that whatever white school is better just inherently because they provide all those things that you believe to be things that are going to make you better. That, that should, quote unquote, make you better. But I think people just literally just neglect so many different thoughts when it comes to that. Just going to a VWI does not you do not escape loans. You do not escape debt. You do not escape accountability. You do not escape racism and all these different things like it's not it's not a better situation. It's subjective. It's what works for you. And that could be just what it is. That That's all it is. This is what works for you because at all of these institutions, you're emulating things that literally happen at HBCUs. You have black Greeks who are inherently an HBCU thing. You, when you have homecomings at these PWIs, these very large schools, you always try to make sure there's a section of just blackness where y'all can do y'all thing. And it's that that, just the energy around that to me is what, I feel like you're not being honest with yourself. You're not really seeing this in a full scope and a full spectrum of how this works. And we're talking about education. How can you argue with me about where I chose to go to be educated? How can you be? How can you try to talk down to me about a place I chose to go to that is educated? Because you're only perpetuating the notion that we have to fight when we do go into these interviews after college. Because I go, you don't know how often I had to tell people where my school was located it's in the name and i think that's the that's the weird energy and the weirdness around it and i I love everything about that though because i feel like it literally fits my personality to the highest degree because i believe that i i am complex i have multiple things going on with me that a part of my personality, a part of who I am. You do not need to just judge me by on like a book its cover situation. Like I believe that's a lot of who I am, but I think a lot of what my school promoted, our mottos were uh, simple: "Find a way or make one," and culture for service, mm. and a kind of subline or sub uh, kind of theme around our school was the spirit of greatness. And it was very big on just your individualism and you always creating opportunities for yourself, always seeing yourself as, you know, the strongest individual of the whole unit and being able to still be, you know, team player, but also making sure that everything about you is strong too. They want, a lot of people want to be somebody. And I don't think that's wrong because I think you're, you're trying to, I think there is an energy of trying to improve yourself within that. And I think that's what, is a beautiful part about that is because you see yourself and you're like, okay, I'm now in a new place. I'm really meeting and seeing people who are doing things I've never seen before. I've never seen black people talk this way or talk about these different things or do these certain things or whatever it is. I want to be a part of that. I want to be into that. I want to be all about what that is. And I think it's a beautiful thing. And I think people need to see it because a lot of people don't know. Like it blows my mind. I have i I've met so many black men and black women who have had a very white surrounding around them their whole lives. And they now want that. Because they're not in the real world. in the real world is very white. Their workplace is very white. And they don't feel they feel like they're now they've missed that they possibly missed that opportunity to to, to experience that. And that's why I tell people all the time it was wonderful. Everything I'm telling you was wonderful. I'm not going to sugar. It's not a sugar coat. It's not a dumb and down. (laughs) If you believe everything that you're imagining, add 10 to it. Because that's how great it was to genuinely not think about those types of things. Be able to talk about the things that are happening in the world. Like that's a beautiful experience. Mm-hmm. It's a, such a beautiful experience. We can have unfiltered conversation with still with nuance, with still different perspectives, with, with a whole professional adult <laughs> with a professional teacher who's going to give us even more perspective on it that we didn't even have. Mm-hmm. Can you do that everywhere? Mm-hmm. Like, can you really, can, uh, can Trayvon Martin be shot down and the whole campus feel affected and the whole campus react to it and the, Literally, the staff, faculty all make whatever they're doing that day about that. Like, who, where can you do that at? A moment of silence, a light vigil. We're in class, whatever class it is, we're going to find a way to still talk about this. Because when I am in these situations, I'm like, oh man, y'all, this is a lot. This is too much. But I'm glad I was at least able to know that there is help there are i'm not alone that i can still connect and talk to people and and we can still have that open discussion about what is occurring in the world and it and and it being you know a very good conversation i just yeah yeah i love my school i love my alma mater love it love it love it it'll be five years i've been out next year and i'm definitely going to homecoming next year and it's going to be great
1: I.D. Perry, intellectual and podcast host of the Simply King podcast, is joining me on Revelations. And I, we we have a purpose in life, and, and I think you, it's funny we we were you were talking about that in in your journey in at Clark Atlanta University. I, I believe we all have a purpose in life. In in this segment, I would I would like to get to understand, and I think I have a I have a bit of an understanding of it, but I would like to delve a little bit a little bit further. Mm -hmm. in behind the purpose okay all right so you grew up in jackson tennessee Mm-hmm. It's, if I'm not mistaken, that's 70 miles northeast of, it, of, of, of I say Atlanta, northeast of Memphis. Yes. You moved to Atlanta to go to college there and, and your experience was extremely broad. And and it still I can hear it, it still fuels you to this moment, yes. which is which is beautiful. That's awesome. But you decided to go to Chicago. What precipitated your move to go there? Um,
0: two things. I think it was the re uh the reality of um of just literally not being able to find a job. Um, and I think a lot of that had to do with my appearance, and um, because I do have like back length uh, locks for the people who are listening. And we're gonna uh, get to that. we will definitely get to that later. And uh, I think because of I think because of that, that was uh, something that I didn't think was going to be a thing. Because I'm like, we're we're living in 2015. I would have, I would hope that this isn't a thing. But um, I feel like it was moments where I felt it. It was moments I felt it directly. Uh, once I moved here and was doing interviews and things, and it's definitely people who gave me that feeling that that's what was happening. And um, I, I, um. I was dating someone who was from Chicago and she essentially kind of just presented the idea. Why don't you just come here? Because I was, my lease was up. I was really couch surfing. And, um, at the time trying to just, I was working at a um, yard house, uh, just literally just making ends meet and interviewing in places. This is after graduation. As soon as she kind of offered that, I was like, okay, I think this could be something I could do. And, um, made the move, made that move. And, uh, it's been interesting. I think I've definitely threw myself into a situation. I didn't even, couldn't even fathom what I was getting myself into, um, coming into not only a new city, but a city that's way, it's way larger, um, way larger than Atlanta, uh, certainly with way different culture and a whole new region. Um, so many different (laughs) things that I just would have to experience for the first time on top of being in a relationship at that time. Um, it drew it, I, I, it was on my list of places to be and I'm glad I'm here because I believe that it, it enriched me and showed me a lot of my, I think Chicago is good for showing you what your flaws are because they live in extremes. You know, when it's summertime, they're known to just have really hot summers. When it's wintertime, it's really cold winters. There's a lot of light pollution, so people never see the stars. There's a lot of noise. There's not too much peace in a lot of parts of these in this city. Um, because people are moving. It's working class folks, it's business folks, it's a lot a lot of movement. It's bit. Bu- it's a busy place. And um I think because of that, that's what can show you your flaws a lot easier, because you're trying to keep up, you're trying to trying to stick, you know, st- stick with the Jones, you know, keep up with the Joneses, and sticking, you know, in the process and keep up with the motion of the city. And I think that's when it shows you show it shows you where you're going to run out of gas. It shows you when a part of you or some uh, mechanism that you possess starts to become a little faulty or it's probably always been faulty, but the environment that you was in was nurturing those flaws. And I think that's exactly what I realized once I moved here was, uh, I think I immediately recognized flaws that I believe, I, in retrospect, possessed the whole time and, um, just didn't, uh, didn't realize those things until they were put into the, to this environment where your flaws and your, your good and your bad, Come with you in Chicago. You don't separate them. They come mm-hmm. with you everywhere you go. And I think um, that's why so many comedians and so many entertainers always see Chicago as like, if you make it in Chicago, you can make it anywhere. That's why a lot of them say that. And I've heard several different people from, you know, uh, Little Rail and Hannibal Burris and Common. And I've heard a lot of people say that. And I think a lot of people see it as the roughness of, the roughness of, "Quote unquote media, what media present, you know, puts out about, you know, the violence. I don't think it's just that, though. I really don't. I really think it had a lot to do with this, the culture and the sense of the city, because it's hard. People, are, some people are very hard and very guarded sometimes, um, but it's a very hard-working city. A lot of people are from here, bred here, raised, and they. A lot of people come back and you know start families here too. So it's a very enriched." place of just Chicagoans like a lot of Chicago is just Chicagoans um it's definitely one of those types of places and I think people supporting each other people getting out and just creating platforms for themselves is genuinely a a a risk in life and a risk that you're taking um to try to get that support and things and so if you just so happen to be very excelling in whatever it is that you're doing you're gonna you know be pushed out, pushed up and literally pushed out the city entirely just because it just, it just seems like that's what the formula is. It's just for some reason, that just seems what it has been for a lot of people. The people who have done extremely well here do not stay here. And I think it has a lot to do with because this is like somewhat of an incubator for, uh, for showing you those flaws. And it's a step in the process of you growing, I believe. And that's why I'm stayed as long as I've stayed is um i believe there's a purpose it's going back to purpose i believe there's a purpose i'm here and um because I, I, if i didn't come here i don't know if i would have started my show if i didn't come here i don't know if i would have met the people i met if i didn't come here i definitely wouldn't be with the woman that i'm with now
1: mm. you know uh to me I've, I've, I've never been to chicago and i definitely will go there soon and it's not because i'm leery of violence i mean i Grew up in Houston, which is a city that's not not as big, but very close to as big as Chicago. And yes, there—I there, mean, there's areas in that city where people say, "Yeah, you go there, you risk your life." Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Chicago—if I'm not mistaken—the metropolitan area has a population of roughly nine million people, mm-hmm. and Houston is over six. So, I mean, you, you still have the same issues. You still have the same neighborhoods we don't have the beautiful lake that you all have up there. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you still have the same issues. The same issues that that, that you have in Chicago, we have in Houston. So yeah. the, the the aspect of what about Chicago that bothers me is that is violence the, the 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 pervasive violence is inherently Chicago's but it's almost as if well New York doesn't go through that. mm mm-hmm. Los Angeles, doesn't go through that. I mean, the the gang culture is is primarily a sticky point, a stereotype heaped upon Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, Houston doesn't go through that. Dallas doesn't. Uh, New Orleans doesn't. Detroit doesn't. You know, uh, it, 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 name any 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 big city, and it doesn't have to be the size of Chicago. It could be something smaller than them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you mean to tell me that violence doesn't? Happen the way it does in Chicago. You mean you tell me it's a war zone in that city as mm-hmm. opposed to the others? Mm-hmm. That's the aspect that I don't like because, and I know many Chicagoans. Other besides you, I mean, I know many people who are from there or who live there, and they say, "No, man, the the, the city that you you hear in the media it's not it's not how it's portrayed. It's not because you know because for me." Um, the, the, the image I get about Chicago is, yeah, it's it you know it's it, and, and you've said it here. It is separated by a more affluent north side and not so affluent south side, which explains perfectly to me why you have the the way it's broken down with people who love the Cubs versus the people who love the White Sox. That explains everything to me about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you also have the the, the, the understanding of the, the the city is a tourist attraction all its own yes uh, I mean I mean y'all host a, an event there that's about food in the summer so mm-hmm. uh, I mean and, and it's one of the biggest events not just in Chicago but in the whole country mm-hmm. and, and and of course f- don't even have to mention Wrigley Field I mean that, like I said that's a tourist attraction and of course, anything along Michigan Avenue and Lake Michigan, mm-hmm. and the Magnificent Mile. I mean, you got many different reasons as to why to go there. Mm-hmm. And then on top of and on top of that, you know, I think about the Steppers culture there and how it, it got popularized. And I'm gonna segue into that in a minute. You know, it, it, that's popular, and I I, and I get the feel of of a city that it has all those concerns, but the people are like, you know what. It, it's all cool, but you know we're still good, that, and that's the feel I like, get yeah, about Chicago. And, and and then to to put the exclamation point on top of it, you mentioned Chicago's rich Black history and Black affluent history. Mm-hmm. Two names stand out for me. One is Don Cornelius because that's where he started Soul Train, mm-hmm. and of course the Empire that we now know as Harpo mm-hmm. and Oprah Winfrey. When I think Chicago, that's what I think. Yeah. Because the violence, I'm like, well, it's a huge city. You, you're going to have the violence there no matter where you go. I don't care what city it is. And, and that's the, that's the opinion I have. And from hearing you, that's the opinion I got. And and, mm-hmm. and, it, and and it doesn't, and it doesn't, it doesn't give me pause because it's like, okay, well, it's just like every other big city I know. You live in Chicago. Mm-hmm. I wanted to hear from a Chicago in this. So we have just in this year, Dealt with Jesse Smollett, Jesse Smollett. Sorry about that, Jesse. Uh, just watched the uh, Chris Rock uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> comedic bit on him, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Jesse Smollett and R. Kelly, mm-hmm. and in their separate cases and how how each has basically put that fish fish eyed lens on the city. Yes. So, how is the energy there, considering that you have these two different high profile cases of jesse Smollett and r Kelly
0: um I would say that uh there's definitely a lot of um let me let me speak to them separately uh so when it comes to Jesse, I believe a lot of people don't believe him a lot of people believe he you know essentially just set this thing up um I think that is definitely a strong a uh, feeling of, you know, people locally I feel like they kind of, you know, he knew someone higher up and was able to get some type of leniency on his judgment instead of, you know, whatever. And my, but also there is still this energy of why are y'all t- like, why are y'all spending so much time with this? Like the people locally genuinely believe he may have just done something very foolish just to get attention. And that's where they begin to end with that but they try to figure out why do y'all care so much that y'all are really trying to like get him on like all these charges and the jail for 60 years. Like there's girls who are literally popping up missing every, every week. There's this happening in the community. The, you know, the police department was just, you know, was, there's more evidence that they were doing corrupt things and all these things are not being given the same, gra- you know, grandiose coverage and so much vigor, you know, on it. And I think that's what a lot of locals feel about that. It's just simply that like, y'all, like it's not that deep in terms of R. Kelly. R. Kelly is, uh, I think, a special case because I think there is this. Um, I think people in Chicago are certainly utilizing that sense of, you know, being able to separate art from uh, the person. For me, I, I did a whole episode on this very topic called Lily titled Separate Question Mark. Um, speaking towards, there's certain ways that people can kind of, you know, approach their approach, the problematic <laughs> nature of artists and individuals that you may support. And um, just provided several ways that you can approach it. And I believe it is certainly one of those things that you cannot be black and white on, because there are certain things you're going to make concessions for. And there's certain things that you're not going to make concessions for just because they just don't sit well with you. And I believe that's whoever's prerogative to continue to listen to his music or not. Initially, there definitely was a lot of conversation around his activities. A lot of people came out and were just expressing how they remember seeing him here, remember seeing him do this, remember seeing him doing that, see him all the time in places or people who had personal anecdotes about him trying things with them or him trying to whatever, whatever, when they were younger or, or recently. And so he is a menace to society, I believe. And I said this um, when the documentary docuseries had dropped. I'm like, I feel like this is really impactful because I believe the world feels somewhat responsible too.
1: and podcast host Rodney Perry joining me on Revelations, and I'm going to bring it home. Uh, This segment is something that is near and dear to me because I really believe that what a person does is what we put forth out into the world. So this segment is called Bring to Light. Yes. And I will begin because you touched on a little bit and I saved it for now. The Simply King podcast. Mm-hmm. What? Oh, well, I'll ask two prompt questions for it. What is the purpose behind it and what spurred you on to create the show in, in general? Um. Yeah, I did say
0: something towards it. Uh, like I said, it, you know, to repeat uh, the the soulfully conscious podcast for humans simply being humans. And I left it very open because I did not know what podcasting was. I really didn't understand a lot of what it was. So when I first started the show and I just started to just add the aspects as I learned that I needed them to be there or need to have these presented and have some sense of, you know, consistency and some type of, uh, I guess, kind of a mission statement to a certain degree. And that mission statement being that tagline, of a socially conscious podcast was humans simply being humans. This is simply King. Um I think for me, it's uh, it was brought to me by uh, I was before I was, before I graduated, uh, I seen so many people having like radio shows, like local college radio shows on campus. And I was like, I could do this. I think I, think I could do this. And I think I'll be pretty good at this. And um, looked into it, was extremely prepared, created a concept and, uh, se- uh, segments, had a certain genre that I said I would, you know, produce, you know, from a musical standpoint, and even certain times of day that I believe would be best suitable to the campus community. Nobody was really doing any type of like r and B. I I think I was going to try to reposition myself to be kind of like the more lively, young, quiet storm in a way. <laughs> uh, if there is such thing as a college version of that to where I play, you know, you know, kind of Neo soul and R and B for kind of like the afternoons during your study, uh, during those kind of like study hours is kind of where I was trying to position the show. Uh, a lot of people were, um, were the administrators and people who are over those, um, certain departments loved the idea, thought it was well needed, uh, because they, there was no other show that was being operated that had that theme. And, um, had to go through a whole other person who was somewhat of a student, I guess, administrator and um, kind of dragged, kind of dragged her feet to kind of give me any type of green light or not. And finally got to go. And it was two months before I graduated. Uh, mind you, I started the process in the fall semester. So that, there's that. And so I just let it go. shelved the idea. Didn't think about it again. Obviously, you know, like I said previously in this my whole kind of journey and story ended up coming here. And then a friend of mine who I've had on the show several times, uh, he, uh, he goes by Stretch, uh, Stretch Green, and Stretch uh, brought it back to me. Stretch was supposed to be a part of that uh, iteration of Simply King. The, uh, he was going to uh, be a person who kind of helped me come curate my playlist and music for the show. He brought the uh, idea back to me of, have you ever thought about doing a podcast? And I was like, I don't even know what a podcast is. That was four years ago and here we are. And, uh, the purpose of my show has, I feel like it changed and grew. And I think it maybe took maybe two years for it to finally have a a true sense of like what it is. And I believe it's a beautiful balance of, you know, of cultural criticism where you can not only get a good perspective, but also I'm providing, I try my best to provide a, uh, sense of nuance to all the things of the world, add the, pull out the funny in certain things, pull out the interesting in certain things that may be overlooked. Uh, Just go deeper, for us to be deeper. And all in all, I think my purpose in life is genuinely to learn the most I can about improving myself so I can teach others on how to improve themselves. And I believe talking and speaking and having these conversations is the, one of the vehicles to get to that destination. Um, because I'm, I'm more, I'm becoming more aware of myself, becoming more aware of my words, my thoughts, uh, certainly becoming open to ideas, open to opinions, um, able to still form my own opinion. Um, I think that's, The beauty of it all, because I I do, I think I do this, and I could do this just because. Yeah, I think about it all the time. I think about podcasting all the time. Everything can be an episode. People are bringing things to me. People definitely see me as a person today. I would love to talk to you about this. Oh, I would love to do this with you. And I think if I'm the one that's going to be the one to start conversations, start just throw things out there. I believe I'm in the right medium. I'm in the right track, and I believe ultimately. I want those things to not only just start as conversations, but lead to actions and lead to um, change, real change in in yourself and in people for um, just as the world goes, as the world goes. Cause I believe we just need that. We need to talk about these things. Like I love how this week, this week I seen so many, you know, uh, I think it was Eddie Gage, Eddie Gow. Uh, I forgot his name. He's a um, political analyst, I believe on MSNBC. And he was saying something to, saying something that I believe got a lot of traction where he was just saying, like, this is us. Stop saying, like, this is not us. This is not America. For all these specific tragic events that have occurred in the past few days, Um, this is us. This has always been us. This has been a part of us the whole time. Lily did an episode, what, maybe two years ago? Called America Being America. And so, just like I said, I feel like I do believe I do believe I'm not, you know, in reinventing the wheel. But I do believe that I'm going to do my best to continuously shine light on the things I believe that aren't getting enough shine or con- continuously elaborate on the things I believe we need to continuously elaborate on. Like, yeah, I know we had like a little conversation about this, but I think we need to extend this and break this down and talk about this more. Uh just bringing out those aspects of what it is. Cause I really want to reach the people of my generation, but I believe uh, the fact that, you know, it can touch anybody. Cause I'm talking about things historically. I'm talking about things in the now, just talking about very universal things. And I think I'm, if anything, my show has proven that no matter who you are and where you come from, you can relate to the show. You can, you can um, find something you need from the show, from the content in, in, in a sense, because you're, even if you feel like the show is so, even a certain episode may be so specific and so whatever, go back to it. Go back. to. It. I do believe my show is one of those shows that, you know, you can revisit when it makes more sense to you, when you've probably went through that experience or probably now have come into to knowledge of a specific aspect of, of culture and society. And um, you can come back here. You can come back. It's, it's free. It's, it's not just, yeah, it's not, not a limited amount of listens. Come back and listen. And, um, that's what I feel like I'm doing. Cause I've literally been able to reach and talk to people from around the world and it feels beautiful. It feels great. I don't know if I would have been able to do that if I didn't start with this medium. So that's how I know I'm supposed to be in this industry. That's how I know I'm supposed to be someone who is adding to it and adding to the zeitgeist of the world and trying to, you know, shift paradigms for people to think differently. Being able to talk to people like yourself and other podcasters is just a gift that I believe, um, I think about now. I'm I'm so thankful for, and I believe that's what I'm here for. I believe I'm here to question question myself enough that I need to get better, and it literally makes everyone else around me want to do the same. Uh, and it's not even a, 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 a over overt righteousness that I, I possess. I believe it's more so. I know who I am. I know I'm human, and that's just simply me.
1: That is pretty much it for the show but before i go this uh, this portion is called plug tuning so in the honor of de la soul i voice always loved that song mm-hmm. i uh tell the wonderful people how they can find you yes you can
0: find uh the simply king podcast everywhere podcasts are available um it is a show that I believe everyone can enjoy one that is certainly informational entertaining, you know, I feel like I'm equally informational, but also entertaining and funny and all those different things. And I bring on some great guests, a lot of great people, a lot of wonderful individuals with beautiful experiences. You can follow me uh, everywhere at Kings underscore memoirs. It's my personal page. And you can also um, follow the simply King pod Instagram page and, um, yeah. Simply King podcast So you can find that everywhere. Make sure when you come on in, listen, leave a review. I don't care if it's, if it's negative or positive, the feedback always makes everything better. That's all it's about. So always remember, you know, the soulfully conscious podcast for humans simply being humans.
1: I'm Rodney Perry. And this is one of the most enlightened human beings you'll ever know. Uh, it's been a privilege for me to get to know this, this guy and, And I look forward to hearing more about him. I look forward to bonding with him more as well. Not just with this type of conversation, but in future conversations to come. Certainly. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this has been uh, one of the most intellectual people I've ever met. Uh, Intellectual writer, uh, just an all around good human being and the host of the Simply King podcast, Rodney King. I'm sorry, Rodney Perry. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and, and King, uh, the moniker. Uh, thank you for your royal presence. Uh, you uh, have just enriched my life, and I look forward to seeing how many more lives you enrich. Thank, thank you, you so much. Far too long, we have suffered time and time and time again with understanding what we need to do on this planet, how we need to advance in the world. What one voice or what one powerful body of voices can come against the tide of the opposing force that is coming against us as we see violence everywhere, debauchery everywhere, and it's going unchecked. The one thing that gives me hope Is that there are voices much like Rodney's That is willing to stand up Speak out And do something about the tide Rising against the force of good The word says The rich and the poor meet together The Lord is the maker of them all Seemingly I'm hearing too much Of the wrong things And not enough of the right And with this gentleman, I am hearing some of the right things being spoken. And I'm so glad that he is lending his voice to the voiceless and as well as the voice of the people who do have one, but is afraid to use it. Because this gentleman is not afraid to speak his mind. Many thanks to Rodney Perry and you can check out the Simply King podcast wherever you can catch podcasts. And you can check out where you can also find him in the show notes as well. For changing the world, one conversation at a time. I am Cole Johnson, and this has been Revelations. For more on Revelations, go to PIPA, spelled P-I-P-P-A. .io and all podcast directories music by lakey inspire.